Harvard Divinity School. The Power of Mind, April 20th, 2023. Forgive my, uh, my lateness, I'm still ran away from the other building. We, we have a Buddhist polity course doing uh, final presentations for our class, so we'll be joined by them on the group. Uh, my name is Chris Berlin. I am an uh, instructor in ministry and Buddhism here at Harvard Divinity School. Um, and it is just an honor and privilege uh, to welcome Rinpoche, Paloma, and also uh, dear friends, Amy and Amy. So, who really reached out to me and made possible. So, great honor to have you here. Uh, so, I will introduce, uh, first, give you a little bit of a background on uh, Rinpoche, on Control Rinpoche, and also Paloma, the uh, uh, translator and uh, imagine the great supporters of all. So, um, so here it goes. And welcome, by the way, to all of you for coming. So there are a lot of things to share about Rinpoche, about his qualities and activities, uh, but just a few things here as a brief summary. Kentro Loko Ayo Rinpoche was born in Eastern Tibet. He began his formal training at the age of seven when he first took, when he took the first stages of his Buddhist precepts. Rinpoche then spent over 20 years studying in some of the most for Buddhist philosophy, and was fortunate to study and practice a few of some of the greatest masters of this century. During that time, he received three Kenpo degrees. Three Kenpo degrees is equivalent to three PhDs in Buddhist philosophy, and then he also spent several of uh, those early years in meditation retreat. Rinpoche is an abbot of a monastery in Tibet where he supports children's education, the monastic community, and the long-term retreat center. He came to the U.S. in 2002 and has been traveling and teaching in the U.S. and other countries ever since. He established Katamchoni, a nonprofit organization, and oversees approximately 20 meditation groups across the country, community outreach programs, as well as a retreat center in the Ozark National Forest. So uh, his book, which I believe was just released, The Power of Mind, uh, just I would like to say a word or two about it. Uh, I just read it this week for the first time. And I was really struck by the deep and felt sense of dedication and love that Rinpoche has for all of us in his words. Very profound what needs to be transmitted through, uh, through his writing. So it really comes through his voice and his heart, really come through his book. So I highly encourage you to uh, get a copy of the book and just let it feed your heart and mind. Uh, So, next to on his right, uh, Rinpoche's right, Paloma Landry, welcome. Uh, she is Rinpoche's interpreter and 
has studied Tibetan language in Nepal and India, and has been translating for Rinpoche since 2002, from the day he arrived here in the US. So, uh, for more information about Intro Rinpoche, his book, teaching schedule, website, and mailing list, please, uh, you can pick up one of the books, the, uh, the bookmarks, at the book signing table. And that has a QR code on the back of it that will take you to these great resources. I also want to acknowledge uh, sort of all of us gathering here as a result of a very auspicious relationship uh, with Ibi Kikudo. And when I was a Buddhist chaplain at the Department Cancer Institute, where Ibi had just entered into her treatment process with acute leukemia. And we almost learned why we together about how Buddhism applies to illness and really when times are at the most critical. And so it gives me just a huge, huge joy and a tear of joy that feels like it's welling up just seeing Ibi now here with us. Uh, and ever since having met uh, Rinpoche and also Damien, her husband, who is a great friend as well, I'm just so glad that we are here as we are now, and that uh, through you, Rinpoche is now uh, also joining all of us. So, thank you all. Thank you, Rinpoche. I'm turning over to Paloma. So first, Rinpoche said, I'd just like to welcome all of you here with a traditional Tibetan greeting, Tashi Vilik. And also, I'd like to extend my gratitude to Chris Berlin and to Harvard Divinity School for hosting me here. It is a great honor to be here and to have this opportunity to speak with all of you this evening. ตัวนี้มิกซ์เซอร์ก็ปัจจุบันเชื่อจุดก็ซะมิกซ์เซอร์ก็ตัวนี้ตัวนี้ตัวนี้ตัวนี้ตัวนี้ตัวนี้ต
to put something together, and I want to say thank you to everybody else who helped to organize and your efforts and putting up flyers and getting out the word and so forth. I greatly appreciate all of that. うん、でり。てに、たんいたんぼ、けのちょに、てっこんか、まんかとに、もちょちゅしなてに、けのちょとんとてパチェ、ことくれさんぽよ。で、のんがかれよ、てまとんがちょっとちょ、まんぽよま
whether it's an object, whether it's another living being, a human or otherwise, whether it's a tree or a rock or a flower, each and every single knowable object has defining characteristics that make it uniquely what it is, different from other things. And our mind also has defining characteristics that make it what it is that no other thing in the universe has. And we should know what our mind is and what defines it as a starting point. Then Semzia Understanding the mind is crucial to our experience. And in the West, as it's been studied um, with science and so forth, there have been many explorations as to what is the mind and connecting it to our brain. And some have hypothesized that it's uh, brain waves or um, you know electrical nervous system uh, effects connected with the brain and so forth. But there still isn't a clear definition of the mind itself. Because mind is not a material object. And so it hasn't, isn't seen directly by uh, instruments and so forth in which it can be directly perceived. And so we can connect it to different factors in our body, such as our brain and so forth. But mind in and of itself has yet to be clearly and universally defined in which we pinpoint this is the mind. And many then are not sure of the mind as being something separate from the brain, as being its own thing. So in the Buddhist tradition, the mind is the basis of Buddhist studies now for thousands of years and has been defined then very specifically as its own thing, as separate from all other functioning things. And so we, all of us, have mind. All living beings have mind. Each and every one of you has a mind. So what is your mind? And what does it do? Because it is different from any other object in the universe. We all have it. 
And yet, most of us don't know what it is. And so that is the question, what is this mind that we all have, that we all possess? Hmm, the Harvard University, they are in Zambulanka, Tangoni, Teneripa Chehutan, Hogu Mambo Yosatan, Hivsha Mambo, Jena Yosaka Sabshiwa, did Hokta Chemodina. Deep Shena Matsu, Matsu Sem Delati, Shediki or Dirty Mambo Hitabiata. Or Dirty Chigres. So the way that we define the mind is by two qualities, two defining characteristics, which is that it is conscious and aware, aware in the sense of knowing. So its essence is consciousness. And this kind of conscious, this clear quality of consciousness is a kind of conscious clarity or clarity that is not a material object. It's not like the clarity of, um, that's illuminated from the sun, nor uh, light particles and so forth. It's in a non-material consciousness. And so our mind is, its essence is that it is conscious, and that has a clarity to it that's that has an unimpeded factor. Mind is able to know our own, to know itself, to know what it's experiencing, 
to know I'm experiencing pleasure or happiness, to oh, yeah. know that this is unpleasant or suffering and so forth. It has it, it knows its own happiness and suffering. So think about this. Is there any other object than mind that is conscious? And knowing. Knowing in that it's able to know all the other objects and self-knowing, knowing itself. There is no other object in the universe that we can find which has these two defining characteristics. Me, I'm not, I'm not talking about fictions. We can see directly our mind, our experience. Our mind is like this. So inert material matter doesn't have, isn't, its essence isn't conscious and its function is not to be aware or knowing. ซึมยุทธชาติมีสมมุติเส้นดะละเดวะตะดุงรจิกยามนะเดวะมีมายามนะดุงรญวายามนะโซระตองญมญมาเตโซระเดตุตองญมสมญงคันจิกงาซุก
we do anything that we do, why we engage in things and why we try to get rid of or get away from things. And this is not only for human beings, this is everyone who has mind, who's conscious and aware, which includes animals and so forth. Sentient being, meaning having mind in Tibetan. And so we all have this conscious and aware experience, which means all living beings, as infinite and numberless as they are, are all ultimately in the pursuit of the same thing. We're pursuing happiness, pleasure, well-being, and we're trying to get away from suffering. There isn't anyone who wants anything other than that, ultimately. Oh, Deni. Deni, Ngatsu. ガトンゴプツゴレゼナディデワトントニエワトンドングルドルトディオピチェットネナツンバツンシサデカトゥカツオトンガゴプツゴレゼナセムチンカトゥヨネテニンゴプツゴレテゼナテニガツタカラゴ
we will be in this pursuit of trying to rid ourselves of anything uncomfortable or painful of suffering, of trying to cultivate well-being, <coughs> happiness, and pleasure. And so when we consider the history of sentient beings, then all of our actions have been for this purpose. And so we have had numberless actions for this, both human and otherwise. Our history of all of our pursuits <coughs> and everything that we've done and all innovations and development have ultimately been ultimately for that pursuit of well-being to find more ease and comfort, happiness, and to reduce suffering. And yet despite such a long history of actions aimed toward this purpose, and despite that everything we ourselves have done for this purpose, we still aren't finding what we're looking for. And so this begs the question as to why. <coughs> if everything that we do is for that, and if we consider all of time and sentient beings, the length of time that our actions have been in the pursuit of that, if we consider the number of beings in the pursuit of that, all of us as humans and also other living beings, numberless beings, and if we consider the, the kind, all of the actions that have ever taken place in the pursuit of well-being and to rid ourselves of suffering, there's no stone left unturned. We've tried so many things. And despite so much effort and striving and exploration, development and innovation, we still haven't found that well-being, that peace or happiness which we seek. And so the big question is, why? And that lies in where are our pursuits focused? Our pursuits are focused on external things, everything that is not our mind, everything that is other than our mind. What Tangikarze Carriers
we can see that there's nothing we haven't tried, nothing that we won't try. Our entire kind of human history is an exploration of trying to improve on our lives. And look where science has gotten us. There have been so many discoveries. We've really reached this kind of pinnacle of science and technology and continuous development and progress and so forth. But still, despite all of these advancements and improvements, we still aren't finding that happiness and well-being which we seek. And so we should be asking ourselves why. This is because the external objects that we focus on, our external circumstances alone, cannot give us what we're looking for, as is evidenced by all of our focus on that up to now. It's because the outer universe and the objects within it can't give us the happiness that we need. The external circumstances are very limited in what they can give us. They can only give us a small degree of kind of happiness. In this case, we would call it pleasure, mostly physical well-being. So what they amount to is physical comforts and anything beyond that basic physical comfort, it can't give us any more than that. It, it doesn't necessitate that our mind will be happier by the more that we get. In fact, what we can see is that beyond our basic physical well-being, which the external circumstances can give us, that in the reliance on the outer universe and things, we have very disturbed minds, that we have lots of mental afflictions, fear, anxiety, worry, anger, jealousy. All we have to do is look around the world right now. It has so many, you know, physical comforts, and yet is everyone just in a state of mental peace and well-being? We have plenty of people with lots of money, plenty of people with lots of power, plenty of people with great fame. But then, these, do we, when we look at getting those things, does it bring mental well-being and peace and happiness? We can see that it doesn't. It's obvious. The Gimson Like what we can get from food and clothes and physical 
That's all they can give. Got it. So you have it already. That's what it can give you. So there, deep shirnang to carry this in a simple, simple the corona. Deep, simple, deep, simple. When we talk about mental happiness, mental happiness comes from the mind. So mind creates its own happiness. It doesn't come from, nor is it dependent upon the external objects. Okay. So this is the question that we should be asking. ガレージにセムジンタムクドゼナゼテチャツンセムンカルクエッセオンハピネスエッティエスオンオブジェクトケンナットオッケーテニテカレージゼナセムダラテニマツカレージゼナセムコロンクセムダラオローク中東ベラ
Tani semnamka jibde te cherry. Ti nurtop to slay ore zina semlay ore. Ti nupat semlay ore. Ti shema sem ki nurtop se power of mind se te titon. Sem ma to mushil kanlay nay ti yontan ti yoma. What did you say? So then, when we look at that, the kind of negative aspects of our mind as being temporary and conditional, that's something that then we can work with. And that who works with that? Our mind works with that. Our mind can eliminate and transform those negative thoughts and emotions while simultaneously making evident our own innate positive qualities. <coughs> Pardon me. They result in greater well-being and peace. <coughs> and the way that we do so, making evident and accessing our mind's own natural resources, is by using methods. Methods that correspond with how things work, with the way things are. So not just random, made-up methods that aren't based on logic and reasonings that can't be established according to the way things operate. So, for example, then that operates. However, it, it, we can logically establish its operating system. This causes that. For example, if you're going to create electricity, you know what processing conditions have to come together just right, and then you have electricity. So you have to have the right processing conditions, the right methods, or you won't get the result that you're wanting. So like if you want electricity, you need to have the right set of causes and conditions. If you want medicine that cures a specific illness, you need the right causes and conditions. If you're going to plant a flower, then you have to figure out in a garden, you know, logically, what produces what seeds produce what results, what conditions it is. And it's not random. And it's very specific. So it's the same with our mind. Our mind has an operating system, how it functions. And we can learn how it functions with logic and reasoning. And then we can work with that operating system to change its experience. And so those methods for working with their mind need to be ones that are not just random and made up, but actually based on the way things are, which is the very purpose of Harvard University, to figure out the way things are, how do they operate, what causes and conditions produce what, what is its operating system, and how can we discover, can we discover about that. And so there's a truth, one that works, and then there's ones that don't, that aren't true. It's the same exact thing when you're working with your mind. You need an authentic method that's based on logic and reasoning that corresponds to the way things are so that when you put it in place, those causes and conditions produce the result that is of working with your mind, reducing mental affliction, increasing positive qualities, so it actually works. And so then we need methods that correspond with a natural state of the operating system of our mind in order to make 
access the potential of our mind. And so who does, who works on the mind? The mind works on the mind. The mind tames itself using methods that are based on logic and reasoning and authentic, that aren't fallible, that truly produce construction that we're looking at. And so you can't do construction and expect that to tame your mind. Working on something external, building something else, is not going to tame the mind. Only the mind can tame mind. Our mind is very stubborn. <laughs> I don't think so they listen to anybody. You know our mind, okay, somebody come and okay, your mind read no, I'm going to change this way, that way, doesn't work. <clears throat> but mind work mind, that's it. that's it. that's it. Same quarrel quarrel. So mind has to work on itself. It tames itself. And it no, uses and then we need methods, we need wisdom, the, the knowledge of what will work on the mind. And then the mind has to implement that. And so when we use authentic methods, then the mind is able to reduce negative emotions and afflictions and experiences. There's a, a quote from this tradition. It says, uh, having uh, independence, meaning like mastery over oneself, is Being controlled by other factors <laughs> is suffering. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's what that means. When we look at our mind, you want to progress. Your mind is constantly being controlled by the external conditions. It's under the power of other factors. So, like, if you think about yourself, you can barely handle being next to it without looking at it. Do stop to you. Checking, checking, checking. <laughs> 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 because the mind is being controlled by that device. <laughs> it's under its influence. It's being affected by it. It's, it's independent from it. Same with computer, clothes, computers, computers devices, our houses, and so forth. All those things are controlling our minds. So basically, our mind is being controlled by the conditions, like under the power of external objects. And, and, and that's why we have so much hope and fear about the external objects and circumstances. Hope and fear. Constantly. And we're constantly being influenced by our perspective, dependent upon the external objects. So we don't have the respite, the relief of the mind being under its own control, being independent from those external factors. It's constantly dependent on those external factors. It doesn't stay still. It isn't present with itself. It's just constantly dispersed by all the other things and objects and distractions. And then our mind becomes disturbed. We have so many concepts and so many emotions. And so then we need lots of psychologists and therapists. That's why they have such a good career these days. And it's a big, everybody has their therapist. And all over the world. And we can understand a little bit about what's going on in our mind just by how many therapists and psychologists there are these days. Yes. And so our 
It's really unbelievable when sometimes I'm thinking like this. Wow. We really don't have independence. Our mind is so dependent on all the conditions. It, it, is, it lacks a stability as and a stable resource of itself. If there is people when we talk, you know, and we uh, questions, answers, question, answers, we all the time do that. If there is no people and then you question, answer yourself. <laughs> That's amazing, our mind, when you look very closely. So, when our mind is working with itself, we're using methods that correspond to its operating system. Authentic methods based on logic you know, and to, yeah, to to like no. like <laughs> Even not to color so really, you know, there's just one object in front of us, food, and we're carefully preparing it. But during that time, our mind is constantly thinking of a million other things. Not just what's in front of it. Not just what's present in that moment. That's being cooked. Maybe Okay, Chikana da, Jimani Karashikin, then Chikana and then Chikana all the time, you see the demon of Jamhazi. That's what I mean when I say our mind is not independent, it's dependent, it's being influenced or controlled by all the other objects. So we need to gain mastery or independence of our mind, in which it's not dependent upon other factors. And when we do, then we begin to access the power of our mind. Which is that if we use our mind, we can reduce the temporary thoughts and flaws and afflictions while simultaneously making evident our innate positive. Sim, Sim, you can do it. I want to get like two words. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, you can finish. Can finish the sentence. <laughs> yeah, you can finish your sentence. <laughs>
model. So, okay. Then, test our is, then, Tan did not love, Jung did not love Joshua Carey or is another. Tangi come to carry lapsons and I came to Hark or Mato, same you pick him, Sanki, Sora there to go is. Then, Sora Deva Topata, Dunga Sevichetto, Matu Shilola Likali, or is a carriage and Sora there to Tony or Mato. Shilola Likali Nayan, Shiloni Deva Tanchi the top documentals. Jimsante, Mugu Nilula, Shilola, Deva Tamshi, Trutupi, Jimson, Deni Koran, Justin de Yomaris. The same language, Dinubati, Tishina, Semti Nurtop, the Kuris, the same Koran, Gramjin, Jibdelis, or Teto, Mitinikan to Kongo Lapre, Tami Kaila Pinzena, Jun Dinola, or not Tesha with Deva Topper Chepato, Dunga Selo Chippi, Tablam. Okay, so just to recap, when we look first, we've defined the mind as being conscious and aware, and we all have mind. Then once we have mind, it means we have sensations of pleasure and pain. And since we have sensations of pleasure and pain, then we're in the pursuit of happiness and trying to be free from suffering. Which then means we engage in actions, and all of our actions in the external world are for that single pursuit. Yet despite all of these actions based on external objects and circumstances, we have yet to find happiness. And this is because those objects do not have the power to give us complete happiness, nor to free us from suffering. What has the power to do that? Our mind has the power to do that. That is the power of our mind. It has the power, the potential, and capacity to give us happiness and peace and well-being. So if we're going to access that power, then we need to engage in methods that work correctly within the operating system of our mind, the way things work, authentic methods. <clears throat> and if we engage in those methods, we can begin to eliminate and to reduce our suffering while cultivating our positive qualities and experiences. And so this book, The Power of Mind, is a system of methods for working with the mind called mind training or low joint mind training. And so there are traditionally seven key points of mind training, but these can be uh, subsumed um, into two main key points. Awesome. <laughs> Chokto 
So the two kind of primary methods that summarize all of the seven key points and the many techniques for working with our mind are profound wisdom and great compassion. So profound wisdom, meaning uh, a, a, a profound insight into the way things are, we could say authentic knowledge or wisdom, and great compassion. And through these two, not only can we accomplish benefit for ourselves, but then we can also accomplish benefit for others. So wisdom means knowledge that sees the way things are, how they operate, what's true about them. And so, for example, when we look at working with our mind, we need the wisdom that understands what our mind is, how it operates, the methods for working with it, how it functions, and what to do or to engage in. If we lack that knowledge, we don't have that wisdom, then we don't know what to do. And so first we have to have wisdom, we have to understand something and what it is, such as the methods for working with our mind, and then we can implement it into our experience. We can take actions. And so wisdom is like the eyes that see where we want to go. First we have to see where we're going to go, and then we can walk in that direction. So first we have to have the knowledge of how to work with our mind and such, and then we have to, once we understand that, then we have to engage in it. We have to actually do it. <clears throat> but when we look at wisdom, then there is uh, wisdom or knowledge that can have a positive outcome and also a negative outcome. And so in the world we can see all kinds of knowledge that can be cultivated. When it comes to mind training, that wisdom is always, by definition, positive. 
And through the implementation of those methods that we learn, of that knowledge, then we can reduce and eliminate and free ourselves from those sufferings. But often, if we understand it well, then we can change our mind very easily in any circumstances. We can change it in a single day, in a week, in a month, when we have the methods that are based on authentic knowledge, wisdom that accurately understands the way things are and understands the methods for working with them. And then when we do, we can be very successful for, with working with our mind. But there are so many ways in which we lack that knowledge about sort of our operating system, the way things are, that we often don't know what to do with our mind. And so we're in a state of kind of confusion. So then we usually determine that when we're suffering over something, that the action that must be taken is we have to change something outside of ourselves. We have to do something external to ourselves. We have to do this, we have to do that. And so then we go outside of ourselves and we try to change things in order to not be upset. But ultimately that isn't the remedy to being upset in the first place. It's not the remedy to our anger in the Okay, I'm going, maybe I'm going to watch movie and tonight and I'm going to have some coffee. Maybe I have good coffee and then want to see and you maybe open your refrigerator and what kind do you eat there. Maybe that feel better, you know, make it feel a little bit better. All these kind of things that we're looking all the time outside things, all the time. Little bit sometimes uh, you get some you get a little bit of something, something like a little bit of you know, all those things. But it's not the actual remedy to the mental problem in the first place. So you're having that emotion or reaction in the first place. So we might get a little relief with the distraction. So wisdom knows that. And it knows what we need. So เดี๋ยวมาสู่โอ้ยังบาลาดุงเงินอยู่ดูพอร์ตเองเจ้าคือฮักว่าจำชิลเลสเองอยู่มาเนี่ยเจ้าเกี่ยวกับเรื่องเ
<clears throat> this wisdom alone is not enough. It needs to be accompanied by great compassion. Compassion is much more than just empathy. Many people mistake in the English language compassion for being empathy, where we sort of can understand someone else's suffering or we're aware of it. But this compassion is a much bigger quality than that. It encompasses that as an aspect of it, but just as one component. Great compassion is the genuine care for others in which we wish that they were free from suffering and we wish that they could be free from the causes of suffering. Essentially, that we think, I, I wish, I wholeheartedly want others to be free from suffering and its causes. And whatever, and we're so moved by that quality that we also want to help them, to, to seek a way of what, something that we can do to help them be free from suffering.
and unfavorable circumstances. We are in a bit of a degenerate age, and there's so much going on, and uh, so much affliction, and disharmony, and issues between nations and people, and uh, so much uh, hate, hating of one another, dislike and aversion, and um, so many natural disasters and intensity on the earth, and within ourselves, so many disturbing and afflictive emotions. So the, these techniques specifically focus on transforming adversity, otherwise known as carrying adversity onto the path. So on the one hand, when we have an unfavorable condition, something that we dislike, Typically, we, we focus on how come we dislike it. We focus on what's wrong with it, how it's not okay, how it's negative, how it's harmful, and everything that's bad about it. And then we become afflicted and respond and react and so forth. And then it really is unfavorable. It's just a bad experience. But the majority of how we experience something is our mind's way of thinking. It's how we think about it. It's how we relate to it. And so if we focus solely on what we dislike and what's not okay, then that's going to be our entire experience. But there are other ways of looking at that and thinking about it and relating to it that would give us a different way of experiencing and responding to it. And so no matter the adverse circumstance that we encounter, there's always something positive that we can cultivate in response to it. There's always a positive potential in it, positive qualities that we can cultivate as we relate to it, if we know how to access those. But if we only focus on what's wrong with it, and we see it as our adversary, as categorically bad and intolerable, then there will be no end to our adversaries. They will just endlessly continue to arise. And we are not okay with this, and then we're not okay with that, and so forth and so on. It's an endless cycle. Whereas if we begin to learn how to relate to unfavorable, unwanted conditions by cultivating our positive potentials, by working with our mind, then those conditions aren't what are determining our experience and whether we're harmed by them or not. And our mind is. And we can actually derive a benefit in the face of adversity if we know how to access the positive potentials and positive qualities within our mind. We can transform something that's negative into something that's positive. So, why? Because the mind is the most powerful factor in our experience. The mind is the most powerful factor in the world. There is nothing more powerful than our mind. And so, however our mind thinks is going to be how we experience. It's a little bit late. We don't hate but I usually like to give this advice then in these talks, then the advice is don't hate suffering. Don't hate 